The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City... Thank you, Kat. Good morning, everybody. My name is Caleb. I'm the AD of Hospitality here at Story City Church. Thank you, thank you. And uh, we are going to be reading the full chapter of Psalm 73 this morning, so please stand as we read Scripture. God is indeed good to Israel, so the pure, uh, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogance. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. Their imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For, am I, for I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to, stay, uh, decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I, then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in their slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one walking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered, uh, embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is a strength for my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. Awake for the first service. That's impressive. Some of you. I won't mark down those of you who are not because I get it. A bunch of you guys were at a wedding last night. You guys are still here, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, so that's good. I like that. Uh, well, good morning. Welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. We are so stoked that you're here this morning. My name is Jared, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. We say Burbank location because we are a family of churches underneath the Story City banner. And so I want to take a moment to brag on Granada Hills this morning. Uh, just launched in September of last year. They are already making waves in their community, and they've worked really hard to build a relationship with Tulsa Elementary School, which is right next to their church building. And one of our values is that we would own the neighborhoods that we call home, that we would be more generous to our neighbors than they are to us, that we would live in and love the cities that we are planting in, and so they are modeling this really well. Um, and we want to do all of that without expecting anything in return. That's an important part of how we love our communities is not trying to get something from the community we're in, but to give away to the community that we're in consistently. And so they've built a cool relationship with Tulsa Elementary. 
The uh, school has allowed Story City to be a part of what the Parent Teacher Association or PTA is doing and allowed us to meet a bunch of needs, which is really cool. But this week, the president of the PTA, who's actually now attending Story City, yeah, attended the Granada Hill staff meeting so they could continue to, sh- to, uh, to share ways they can work together. They actually brought their calendars and they tried to figure out how they could line up their calendars together so that, uh, that Granada Hills could continue to uh, find ways to love Tulsa Elementary. So rad moment. Those are great inroads into the community, great ways to earn the right to speak and to love without expecting anything in return. And so let's keep Pastor Samir and his crew in our prayers as we celebrate what God is doing through Story City and Granada Hill. Amen? Amen is just the Christianese word for, yeah, I agree, let's do it. So, in case you're wondering what that means. All right, we're about to kick off a, a new series called Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Lament. And uh, I love it. Caleb was like, hey, when they text me this psalm, like, that's pretty dark. Are you sure that's what we're doing? We get the right one? Yes, yes, we did. I also heard this morning, that's a deep question this morning. Like, when you're in pain, how do you express it? So let me give you a little uh, insight into me. Um, I am obviously a talker. This is why I have, one of the reasons I have the job that I have is, uh, is I talk all the time. When I get into pain, though, I start laughing. I don't know if any of you guys do that, but it, I don't know why I start laughing. But when serious pain comes, I'm actually quiet. So the way that you know I'm really hurting is if I just don't, like, I don't say anything. And I think it's because I have to concentrate. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of weird. Uh, I was sharing with Nate this morning that uh, when I was a police officer and we had to go through uh, taser qualifications, uh, on video somewhere, there's, you know, they, they, they kept it so they could laugh at everybody. But you, they, they say these taser barbs come out and then everybody's screaming, of course. And in mine, it's just this awkward piece where one probe goes into my shoulder and the other probe goes into my left lower Upper leg region. And all you see in the video is sparks flying out of that left butt cheek. But it's silent. And they were like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, that hurt. That really, really hurt. So all of us deal with pain differently. And one of the things we're going to learn is that the Bible actually wants us to learn how to appropriately deal with pain. It's actually a a healthy part of our Christian journey. And unfortunately, we as churches don't always talk about how we steward suffering well. We might say it, we want to steward suffering, but we don't always get into how do we do that. So we're going to get into that this morning. We're going to start uh, through these psalms today. We're going to start with Psalm 73. But before we do that, let's pray to get our hearts in the right place, and then we'll jump into Scripture. Eternal Father, would you speak to us now as we spend this time with you? May your presence be peace to us. Your promises fuel faith in us and your purpose be fulfilled in us throughout the day to come. Lord, we can be pretty self-centered, but today and throughout this week, we don't want to keep you all to ourselves. Anoint us, guide us, and give us courage to bring your transformative good news to someone who needs us. Help us to be true to you, to give ourselves away to others, to be kind to everyone we meet, to love those who aren't apprenticing you, and to proclaim Christ in all we say and do. Lastly, Father, we pray for those who are striking and affected by the strike. We pray for provision for both now and in the future. We pray for fairness and kindness and peace to prevail. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
We may not realize this, but over a third of the Psalms are actually Psalms of lament. Now, Story City has a culture code, and a culture code for us is this is what we expect of all of our employees, but also what we hope for all of our members, and it's that we steward suffering well. You heard me mention that a few minutes ago. What does that mean? It means all of us are going to suffer. The Bible says it clearly. James says everyone will suffer. I mean, we serve a suffering servant. Why would we expect not to suffer ourselves? But that doesn't necessarily mean we did something wrong. I think sometimes we think suffering is a result of, okay, we made a bad choice. Now, sometimes suffering is because of our poor choices, and we have to face those consequences. But suffering can also come as a result of other people's poor choices. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Or by the fact that this is simply a lost and broken and damaged world that isn't the way that God created it. And so we live in this world that means we are going to experience the suffering of a broken world. Or sometimes, and I wish I could explain this more, but sometimes God allows us to suffer simply because it's what's best for us and best for his kingdom. What's more important, though, is not the why that we all ask when we're suffering. What's most important, though, is what we do with that suffering. Because the Bible says clearly that suffering produces a result in us. Our primary responsibility as human beings is to be image bearers of God, to reflect back to God who he is and what he's done, how he loves, how he leads. We're supposed to point to God in everything we do, including in our suffering. And more often than not, when we suffer well, we actually become a beautiful picture of who God is and how he loves us. And when done in healthy community how the church loves those who are suffering as well. But what does that practically look like? That's what we're going to get to today. So for those of you taking notes, this is our big idea for the day. Lament is a healthy path to hope and trust. Lament is a healthy path to hope and trust. We're going to see how lament is a path we walk that includes turning, complaining, asking, and trusting. And that knowing what to lament is as important as knowing how to lament. Now, for those of you paying attention, the pastor just said from the pulpit, it's okay to complain. I want to clarify, we're complaining to God, not to the pastor. We are different people in case you weren't aware of that. (laughs) Take it to him. All right. I love Psalm 73. Uh, Psalm 73 is, uh, it kicks off book three of the Psalms. If you didn't know, there's five books within the books of the Psalms. And uh, they all end with like a uh, benediction, which is really cool. Um, they're made up, they have frameworks to them. And so there's, uh, there's different books in the Psalms. This kicks off book three. And it's a true and honest wrestling of one of the senior leaders of the church. He formed, uh, he was the leaders of one of the choirs. His name is Asaph. And... Uh, He's debating if it's worth following God. This is a real moment. This isn't just like a, hey, I just wrote this down to see what's going on. This, this is a real wrestling, and we see the result of what's happening. So we're going to read through this. I'm going to give a brief overview, and then we're going to go down and break it more thoroughly. So let's read through Psalm 73 once again. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. Circle that word pure in heart, that phrase pure in heart. Again, hopefully you've got your physical Bibles with you. If not, you can highlight it in your, in your phones, but just make sure that we, we come back to that. It's going to be important. But as for me, 
my feet almost slipped. I love this admission. My steps nearly went astray. And here's why. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die. And their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors, like one waking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge so I can tell about all that you do. In this book, there are four main psalmists uh, in, in book three. Asaph, the author of this psalm. David, King David. Ethan and He-Man. Yes, you Gen Xers heard that exactly right. But that's a message for another day. Asaph is one of the main worship leaders, and, and he, he kicks this off by, by starting with God. He re- reiterates the goodness of God, and then he moves right into verse 2 by identifying the issue that he's having. Asaph says he almost gave this up. He almost gave up his serving God. He almost gave up walking with God and trying to do what is right. And he says, I've been washing my hands in innocence. I've been struggling through, like, trying to live a life that is honoring of God. Why am I doing this? When it seems like all I get in return is difficulty and no reward. And yet, all these other people who care little about God, they're doing whatever they want. And it seems like they're doing it with impunity. Verse 3, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Like It's like they got special treatment because they're disobeying God. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. I love this line, their eyes bulge out from fatness. Whoever translated that, that's fantastic. Uh, the, the imaginations of their heart run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten the oppression. Just a side note here. In many cultures, fatness is considered a sign of like wealth. So my friend uh, married a, uh, a woman from Myanmar. And when he met the in-laws, they looked at him and they go, oh, you're fat. You must be wealthy. This is a good marriage. And he was like, 
did they just say that to me? <laughs> He's like, I'm working on it. They're like, no, this is really good. <laughs> He's like, this is so strange. Uh, anyway, verse 9. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease, and they increase their wealth. And so Asaph lets us in on something else, too. He, he gives us a secret. He says, look, I, not only am I wrestling with this, this envy of what they have and what I don't have and all the hard work I'm putting in for seemingly no reward, but also I'm struggling by myself. Because if I brought this struggle to other people as one of the leaders of the church, it might lead people astray. And I certainly don't want to lead people astray. So how do I wrestle through this? He says, well, I tried to figure it out on my own. How well does that work? Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. And so it seems hopeless at this point, but Asaph understands something. He says, I've got to look outside of myself. And many of us, when we're in pain, we get stuck in this loop where basically we keep looking to ourselves for the answers and nothing else new comes. And we get stuck in this sort of like, we, we, a good word for that is spiraling. And so in this moment, Asaph goes, I don't know what else to do. And so he goes back to worship with his church with the congregation and something happens in the midst of that he's suddenly able to see beyond what is right now and able to look beyond his current circumstances and he's reminded that God is eternal not temporal that God is greater than right now he remembers that God sees the wicked the wicked and will have a final say And this brings us to verses 21 and 22 where Asaph realizes suddenly that his heart is wrong towards God, that he has this bitter heart and he reminds himself of how good God is to let him wrestle and still walk with him in the process. He says, I was like an animal with you and yet you still held my hand. Asaph spends the rest of the psalm reinforcing what he's learned through this whole Ordeal. Now let's go back and look at this a little bit more in depth because I think there's some things that we can really learn from when we're struggling, when we're wrestling of how to walk through this. In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Verokop gives us a pattern in which each of the Psalms Lament has a, a way to look at it. I think it's going to be helpful for us. And so for those taking notes today, this is a first observation for the day. The path of lament, the path of lament is to turn, complain, ask, and trust. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. Another word for path could be process. Process of lament is to turn, complain, ask, and trust. Look again at verse 1 with me. Asaph has been wrestling with this issue for a long time. This is, this is a while he's been wrestling with this. This is a hard place to be in. And he's not just complaining that people who aren't following God are living an easier life than him. He's actually, he says, envious of it. He's envious of the life that these people have. He's struggling with this quite a bit. But when he confronts the issue, he actually starts with God. He doesn't simply whine and complain. He turns to God in prayer. He doesn't run away from God, but he tries to understand who God is and who Asaph is in light of that. He brings his complaint to God directly in prayer. So for those taking notes today, I want us to notice that turning requires transparency. Turning requires transparency. Vrokrop writes, lament directs our emotions by powerfully vocalizing our hurt, our questions, and even our doubt. 
Turning to prayer through lament is one of the deepest and most costly demonstrations of faith in God. He goes on to write that silence is a soul killer. When we don't express what's going on in our hearts, there's, there's something that damages us. I've been trained in a lot of um, walking people through trauma. And one of the things that uh, trauma therapists will tell you is that, uh, that talking is cathartic. When people have gone through a traumatic experience, it's really healthy to let them say what they're going to say. And what's really interesting, if you've been around somebody who's recently experienced trauma, they'll repeat themselves. And sometimes you're like, you just said that. But it's really important for them to repeat themselves. And in fact, you'll hear one or two slightly new details come out every time they repeat themselves. But our minds are like a hard drive. Our minds need to know exactly where to file something. And trauma is something that doesn't file well. And so what happens is the more we talk about it, the more we process it, the more our minds are then able to put it in a healthy place and it doesn't continue to run this system error in our brains. And so the Bible is already talking about those things that, that therapy is just now coming to understand. The Bible has known this for a long time. And, and Brogrop talks about that, that silence is a soul killer. That phrase in verse 1 that I had you circle, pure in heart, I want us to go back to that for a second because it doesn't just mean well-intentioned. It's not just like, hey, somebody who's trying hard. That phrase, as one commentator writes, pure in heart, is more significant than it may seem. For the psalm will show the relative unimportance, unimportance of the circumstance. It doesn't matter what caused it in comparison with our attitudes, which may either be soured by self-interest or set free by love. In other words, what we do with our suffering matters. Pure means more than clean-minded, though it certainly includes it. Basically, it means totally committed to God. Totally committed to God. As for heart, its occurrence, this author writes, six times in the psalm emphasizes, as Martin Buber has pointed out, that the state of the heart determines whether a man lives in the truth in which God's goodness is experienced, or in the semblance of truth, where the fact that it goes ill with him is confused the illusion that God is not good to him. So in other words, uh, if we live in truth, we see that God is with us and we experience his goodness in the midst of pain. When we are not living in the truth, we come to a place where God has done something to us. Turning with transparency means we start with an attitude of faith, at least faith that we have a God who will listen to our complaint. We don't have to come to the place where we believe God will do everything about it, but we have to come to a place where there is a God and a God that listens to us. When we verbalize our prayer and our struggles and our temptations, our doubts, our dissatisfactions, something happens to us inside, like that catharticism I was talking about earlier. God isn't afraid of how we feel. In fact, God welcomes and wants how we feel when we talk to him. And even though it may not be true, it may just be an emotion that we're feeling, God still values that from us. And so in verbalizing them, what happens is our heart begins to turn towards the one who brings resolution and restoration. For those taking notes, I want us to to observe that complaining requires complete honesty. Complaining requires complete honesty. Now, this isn't a pretty poem that Asaph writes. This isn't like, hey, guys, this is wonderful. It's all good. It's not just a quick prayer that he throws up. Hey, God, I hope you're listening. This is a prayer that's deeply wrestling. And if you read it through, you'll see there is accusation. There's hurt. There's anger. There's bitterness. There's, there's a borderline rage with God. And, and, and this sense that he's, it's so deep. He's like, look, I'm really thinking about walking away. 
Asaph is really open about how he feels and what he's thinking with God. He's open about his struggle, but he remains open to God in the whole process. He looks at his own heart in a transparent manner is what helps him as he brings us to God. Rogrop continues writing, Biblical complaint is an alternative to rage against God or stoicism. So on one side, rage, we're just angry and we're mad. On the other side, it's all good, doesn't matter, it's fine, everything's going to work out, it's okay, whatever. Or we pretend it's all good because we think it's supposed to be. In biblical complaint, we complain on the basis of our belief in God, uh, in who God is and what God can do. A lament honestly and specifically names a situation or circumstance that's painful, wrong, or unjust. In other words, a circumstance that does not align with God's character and therefore does not make sense within God's kingdom. Lament is a language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in a world with tragedy. See, rage doesn't actually allow us to approach God. When we are raging at something, we are putting up our walls. We're pushing away. Stoicism pretends like nothing's wrong, even when it obviously is. And so we oftentimes live in those two worlds. And biblical complaint is that place in the middle. It's a healthy way to walk through the path of lament. For those taking notes today, I want us to observe this. That asking requires assessment. That asking requires assessment. When we truly understand our gospel identity as the daughters and sons of the living God, that we have been adopted into his family, we can believe that God wants to bless us and provide the best stuff for us. But like every good parent, that doesn't mean he's going to give us everything we want. That wouldn't be good parenting. But it's hard to ask boldly in faith if we don't know what God wants or even what we want. Asaph in verse 3 says, For I envy the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is what Asaph wants. He's like, I want things to go well for me. And in verses 13 to 16, he's like, Look, did I purify my heart and wash my hands for nothing? And here's the outcome. I'm afflicted all day long. I'm punished every morning. That's probably an overstatement. But it's how he feels. And then he feels this hopelessness that I can't even bring this to anybody. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. And then he goes on to say, and then I, can't, I still can't figure it out for myself. See, Asaph recognizes where his heart differs from the truth, even though these things feel true to him at all times. He also looks at what God has done, and he looks at God's track record of faithfulness, and it leads him to a place where he confesses and speaks truth to his sin and his doubt, his hopelessness, and his frustration. And here's the beauty. Asaph recognizes his sin, and he speaks truth to it, but God doesn't blast him for it at all. Nowhere in here does God come in and be like, finally, you figured it out. What does he say? He says God just walked through him, walked through the process with him, holding his hand. If we're going to be a people who are on the path to lament, we must do the work of assessment. Who is God? Who is God? What has God done? Who am I? And what do I do in light of who is God, what he's done, and who he's made me? How, when I've answered these questions, then do I relook at my circumstances? Because it's impossible to look at our circumstances the same uh, when we're looking through our own lens of what we're doing. And when we look through God's lens, it's a completely different thing. And so when we get to that place, we have to ask ourselves, is my complaint valid? If so, then God, what are you trying to accomplish in my suffering? Because you don't do this pointlessly. 
If it's not valid, then how does my heart need to come back to alignment with God? And this is exactly what we see Asaph do in Psalm 73. Asaph is able to let go of what he's holding on to and once again values who God is. See, our prayer must be that we would want what God wants more than we want what we want, even if we don't understand. And that is a difficult thing to do. For those taking notes, I want us to observe that trusting requires trust and faith. Trusting requires trust and faith. You're like, that doesn't make sense. For those of you who haven't heard this before, the difference between trust and faith is this. Trust is when God says something's going to happen, and we believe that he is going to do what he said he's going to do, that we believe the outcome he gave us. And so it's easy sometimes for us to look past all of our hurt, all of our stuff that we're going through because we know the end goal. We're trying to get to that. We're like, God, I believe you're going to take me to that end goal. And I'm okay because I know that this is all worth that end goal. I see it now. But faith is not that. Faith is when God doesn't give us an outcome and he says, I want you to trust me as you walk with me. I will be good. And that's hard because we then want to weigh, well, are the things I'm going to experience that I'm really afraid of because I don't know what they are, are they going to be worth the outcome that you give me? I don't know because you didn't tell me what the outcome is. But that is faith that we trust in the nature and the character of God. And so in order to to turn to God in the process of lament, we need both. In order to trust, in some experiences, we will need to go, God, I know you're going to get me through this because you said you'll produce a good result in me, that all things will work out for my good. Not all things will turn out good, but they will work out for my best benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. I trust you in that. Even though I don't see the end result of this suffering or understand why, I will trust your character, your nature. I will have faith in your character and nature. And so we have to have both. When we walk the path of lament, we need both faith and trust. Rogop writes, all true songs of worship are born in the wilderness of suffering. Says musician and author Michael Card. And reflecting on the laments of David, Card suggests that without the rocky terrain of his lonely life, we would not have many of the psalms of David that we cherish. In other words, David's pain created his worshipful laments. I think Card is right. Suffering refines what we trust in and how we talk about it. My wife Monique is a walking miracle. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but she has been cured of the autoimmune disease lupus. It's an incurable disease. She had it. She very clearly had it. We had dozens of doctors over different states confirm it, and then one day she did not have it. Um, It came after a, a time of prayer, people praying over her. But that's actually not the story. It's a great story. It's not the story. The story is that she was told she would never have kids. She spent six months going through chemo. She was in a wheelchair. She was 18. And, uh, and that was one of the results, that she would never have kids. And we prayed and prayed and prayed, felt like God told us it was going to be okay. We had a number of miscarriages early on. But then we had a pregnancy that made it past the third month. And we felt like God had finally answered our prayers. And it wasn't just the prayers of God give us a baby, but the prayers of another miracle. When you have been told that this is something that cannot happen, it, it felt like the, 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 the win over everything. And unfortunately, that baby did not make it past the four-month mark. Much of how Monique and I understood God was tied up in what we held most valuable to us in that moment. It would take us nearly three more years before we would have our daughter, Kylie. Later, our son, Chance, 
We believed that God had told us that we would have kids and we wanted to trust him. But in those moments, everything seemed to rail against the hope that we had in our hearts. And every reason seemed to be against trusting and having faith that God was going to produce what he said he was going to produce. Now, throughout this path of lament, there's this building crescendo, this culmination of where the path is leading. And like Asaph, it brings us to a point where we have to accept that God is good and he has a plan and a purpose for us, even if we don't understand it, that God's ways are better for us than ours could be. Not that we'll get a resolution quickly or that we'll fully understand, but that God is good despite what we feel. Now, God has never shared with me why we struggled for so long or why we lost our baby. He never answered that question. But I have experienced the goodness of God throughout my life, both in who he is and how he loves me, especially through his church. I don't know that I'll ever have answers. But I do have the answer of who God is and what he's done, who he's made me to be, and what I do in light of that. Because his track record is one of faithfulness. For those taking notes say this is our final set of observations for today. That knowing what to lament is as important as how to lament. So we've been talking about this path of lament and, and how it works. And I'll tell you, I had to use it this week. It's been a tough week. And I was actually frustrated trying to write this sermon. I'm like, I can't do it. And I had to come to a place where I had to turn, complain, ask, and trust. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, that so often I'm preaching to myself. I needed this this week. This was so important. So this is a healthy process for us. Turn, complain, ask, trust. And we've talked about how practically to do that. But how do we figure out what we should be lamenting for? There are two categories that we see regularly in the psalmist's lament. Here's the first one. Areas we are are not aligned with God. And the second is areas life around us is not aligned with God. Areas that we aren't aligned with God and areas that life around us is not aligned with God. Like Asaph, the first category is about the areas where the psalmist is struggling to see why or how their heart should be aligned to God's heart. Asaph brought this to God for resolution. He's like, God, I don't understand what to do with this. I'm not in line with you. And the result was both hope and trust in God's better way. But the second category should also push us to lament. When injustice is happening to us or when injustice is happening around us, We see this in Psalms like Psalm 64, 1 to 5. God, hear my voice when I'm in anguish. Protect my life from the terror of the enemy. Hide me from the scheming of the wicked people, from the mob of evildoers who sharpen their tongues like swords and aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from concealed places at the blameless. That's something being done to the innocent. They shoot at him suddenly, are not afraid. They adopt an evil plan. They talk about hiding traps and say, who will see them? It's clear that the psalmist is lamenting the injustice to him and not simply a heart issue between him and God. But speaking about injustice, we also needed to lament for the, for the injustice around us, like Psalm 94, which begins, Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine, rise up, judge the earth, repay the proud what they deserve. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked celebrate? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. Lord, they crush your people. They oppress your heritage. They kill the widow and the resident alien and murder the fatherless. They say the Lord doesn't see it. The God of Jacob doesn't pay attention. If our hearts don't break for the people around us, both those apprenticing Jesus and those not apprenticing Jesus, then we aren't practicing healthy Christianity. 
The path of lament then is an important part of a healthy Christian life as much for us as for the people around us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you allow us to lament, that you allow us a process of coming to you even when it's just our emotions, even when we're feeling overwhelmed or anger, even when it's directed at you, God, you still hold our hands and walk with us because you are greater than our emotions. You're greater than our circumstances. And Father, we trust you even when we don't know how. We believe in you. Help us in our unbelief. Father, move in us and on us. Help us to come to understand and know you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.